I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse, excuse me, verse 6. Uh, just before we read that, though, if, if uh, I would submit to you that uh, few things are as poorly understood in evangelicalism today, or broadly speaking, uh, as the role of music and songs in church, in our worship services. Uh, many people, I think it's fair to say, many people take a very individualistic approach to this, where really the understanding is it's primarily something between me and God. Um, you know, it might be with other people, but primarily this is something that I just do between me and God. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes what happens is people, you know, for example, um, you know, singing in my car seems maybe even more beneficial to my soul than singing in church with other people because in my car, um, I put on music and they're professional musicians essentially and uh, they sing really nicely and really well and uh, it's really good. And it might be easier to sing along with even a little less distracting than, uh, you know, Aunt Sally or something on the piano. Um, and so, uh, so, so that, that seems like maybe even more helpful to my soul. Um, and and this, this individual approach uh, it can also be found amongst those who do believe, do understand that our songs and our singing should be um, rooted in Scripture and should have robust theology in it. Uh, we can still have this understanding that it's mainly, primarily, uh, between me and God. Many, during this time of lockdowns and so on, uh, many people have wondered if it makes really a difference if we stay home or if we gather, particularly with this issue of music. Again, uh, maybe just a curated YouTube playlist is is maybe even more beneficial because again, it's 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 professional and it's a lot uh, better in that sense quality than what we'll find as we just gather around, um, you know, a, a piano or a guitar or whatever. However. The Bible's instructions on corporate singing in the church reveals that this kind of thinking, this approach, this individualistic approach, falls well short of God's design and his instruction for Christian singing, for church singing. There's so much more to it, and we're going to see uh, some of that in our text today. And, and please hear me, I'm not in any way discouraging you from singing in your car and enjoying that. That's not at all what I'm getting at. Um, but there's much more to what the Bible has to say about singing uh, when it comes to church life and what it means when, when the Bible speaks of singing, as we'll see here in Colossians 3, verse 16. So turn with me to that verse, and this is where we're going to spend our time this afternoon. Colossians 3, and verse 16, Paul writes, he says, Let the word of Christ... Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we're going to look at three principles from this verse, but before we do that, I want to just set the stage by giving kind of a, a brief overview of this, of this verse, which I trust, I hope, will serve us as we look uh, at these three principles. 
Uh, so the context, we just read it in isolation there, but if the, the context, if you recall, uh, Paul is exhorting us here to put on Christian virtues as those who've been forgiven by Christ, who are part of the church, who are united to Christ by faith, those who've been saved by God's grace. He's saying now uh, we are putting off and putting to death sin that remains, and we are um, we are striving to put on these various virtues. And as we've noted over the last few weeks, uh, Paul is addressing throughout this, it, it, com- it becomes plain, he's talking to the church. He's talking to, m- many of these virtues are about how we relate to one another and how we function together as the church. And so this now continues in verse 16 as he turns to uh, this issue of the word of Christ dwelling in us uh, as we sing. And so verse 16, um, the first part of the verse, the first clause, if you will, uh, is really the main part of the verse where he says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so this is the main part of the sentence. Uh, The rest of the verse really just builds off of this, uh, explaining this, kind of fleshing this out a little bit more about what this looks like. Uh, So his main concern is that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. Uh, The next part of the verse, the next clause, says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Uh, This this clause here uh, is... is, um, is dependent on the first part of the sentence, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And now it's explaining here the means by which we're to do that. The means by which we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly by, we could say by teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, Then in the ESV, the next clause begins with the word singing, where he says singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So it looks like this is another means by which we would let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It appears, the way it's written here, that there are really two means by which we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us. The first is by teaching and admonishing. If we just make those one, just call that one. Teaching and admonishing with all wisdom. The second means is by singing. So the first one, it would seem... This teaching and admonishing is maybe preaching the word, teaching the word of God. That would seem to make sense. While the second means is by singing. Uh, the, the problem is that I think the word singing is in the wrong place in the ESV translation. Uh, in the Greek text, the word singing comes after psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I think it's best if it was just left there. Um, in Greek, word order is not as important as it is in English. You can scramble up the words a little bit to an extent, and it'll still make sense uh, in Greek. So it's, it's possible that word singing should be brought forward as it is in the ESV. Uh, this is just one of those things where the translators have to, are making a decision about the best way to try to translate this verse. And I'm suggesting the ESV is... Um, not the best way to do it. That, and if that sounds arrogant, I would understand why you would say that or think that. Um, but it's not just me. There are a number of English translations that, um, that translate it differently. So the New American Standard Bible, King James, uh, Christian Standard Bible, Lexham English Bible, these are just four um, that translate it, I think, correctly. So here's what the New American Standard Bible says. 
Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because I believe what Paul is saying is that teaching and admonishing, the teaching and admonishing he has in mind here, is done by or with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which are then sung with thankfulness to God. So the psalms and the hymns, the spiritual songs, these are forms of teaching and admonishing one another. That that Paul is not talking here about preaching and teaching, just like I'm doing now. He's talking about singing. Of course, preaching the word is good, it's necessary, Earlier in chapter 1, verse 28, Paul talks about him we proclaim, and then he uses the words teaching and admonishing, the same words. So he does this through teaching and preaching, but that's not his concern here. Here, rather, he is calling us to let the word of Christ dwell in our hearts by teaching and admonishing one another through corporate singing. So I think this whole verse then has to do with singing. And we'll, we'll fill this out and hopefully um, explain this a little more as we go. But with that stated up front, um, let's look at three principles for corporate singing that are given here. First one is that our corporate singing is to be saturated with Scripture and theology. Our corporate singing is to be saturated with Scripture and theology. If singing is a way in which we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, then I trust this principle is uncontroversial. (laughs) It must be rooted in Scripture. So he mentions here, he calls it the word of Christ. Well, it seems best to understand that as a reference to Scripture as a whole. The entirety of the Scriptures and the message that they proclaim, which is ultimately the message of Christ and the gospel. Uh, Jesus, you remember, in John 5, 39, said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures there. They bear witness about me. They're about him. They're the word of Christ. Yet, he says, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is, this is why he came, to bring eternal life, to bring life to people. The scriptures are teaching this, instructing us about this. Earlier in John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus is the Word. He's called the Word of God. Uh, Elsewhere, or earlier in in Colossians chapter 1, we talked about how he is the image of God. How he is the one, he, he is the image of God. And so we concluded, and we talked about this back when we looked at those that verse. Um, Jesus is the Second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son, who would have been the one as the image of the invisible God to appear to Moses in the burning bush and to speak with him, revealing God to Moses in that way. Jesus, of course, has come in the flesh and has further made God known in his incarnation. This is in addition to the fact that all of, not only is he declaring the word, inspiring the word, explaining God, but the, the word itself, the scriptures themselves, are about him ultimately, as he says there in John 5. Jesus is the one who came to offer life to sinners as the last Adam, 
Adam plunged the world into sin and all who are in him are doomed to judgment with him. And yet it is Christ who has come to redeem us from the curse that has entered into the world because of Adam's sin. As the last Adam, he has paid for the sins of his people in his body on the tree and has been raised to, to life, resurrected, so that all who trust in him be forgiven and granted eternal life. This is what the scriptures proclaim and teach us. Death comes through Adam, eternal life through Christ Jesus. He is the hero, if you will, of the scriptures. The preeminent one in all of creation. Again, Colossians 1. So the Bible is about Jesus. And again, in Colossians, Paul has made this point quite clearly. Remember, uh, the Old Testament was filled with these shadows and types, ultimately pointing ahead to Jesus, Paul says, in chapter 2, verse 17. So it's the Christ-centered scriptures that we're to have dwell in our hearts richly. Paul exhorts us to have the scriptures take up residence in our in in us within us richly. Not just a truth here and there, but richly, abundantly. So as we think about this letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, we could naturally think about the importance of uh, preaching, the importance of reading the scriptures, the importance of hearing the scriptures read, the importance of memorizing the Bible, the importance of meditating upon it. However, Paul here draws our attention to singing. Singing is one of the key ways that we are called to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Paul goes on here and mentions psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs further reminding us that Scripture is to be the bedrock of the lyrics of the songs that we sing. Uh, some people view this these all three categories, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as being different types of psalms. Uh, however, I think it's better to understand this as a mixture of canonical psalms and human compositions that are rooted in Scripture. This is how I would understand, for example, spiritual songs. As one commentator says, they treat of spiritual things relating to the glory of God and our salvation, not of secular, vain, and earthly matters. It's a spiritual song. They are songs of spirit-inspired truths, even if they don't use spirit-inspired words. What I mean is that they're reflections upon the scriptures that are inspired by the Spirit, even though the songs themselves might use other words to do that. I trust that makes sense. This is essentially, I think, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 13, only in song format. In 1 Corinthians 2, he's talking about teaching, and he says there, we impart wisdom in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So spiritual truths are the teachings and doctrines of the Bible, and Paul says he interprets those to Christians, to those who are spiritual. So I think this is similar to what he's saying here. We sing these songs that are based upon and built upon these spiritual truths. They're, They're spiritual songs. 
So again, our principle here is that our singing is to be saturated in Scripture and theology. We want to sing Bible texts along with their meaning and significance. And and we'll come back to their meaning and significance in a little while. Uh, But just a couple of further applications here from from this principle. Uh, The first is that we must sing when we gather. Uh, This is a command of the Lord. This is a command in God's Word. This is uh, ordained an ordained element of our corporate worship, which is why we do it. Uh, we sing because the Lord has summoned us to do this, that we sing so that his word might dwell within us. So we don't just do this because we think it's nice. We don't just do this because it feels good. We do this because we're told to do it, and it's a means by which God's word dwells within us. Um, a, a second application here is that we should sing the psalms. This explicitly tells us to do that here. This is, this is one of the reasons why we've recently purchased this, made an investment in the book of Psalms for worship, the Psalter. Uh, we hope to, in time, work these songs into our uh, church life, into our singing life. Um, and yet, uh, we shouldn't take that to mean we've never been, we, we haven't sung any of the Psalms. Uh, we, we have sung Psalms. I don't know if you noticed, but we sang one earlier. Um, the song is God Be Merciful to Me, was the title. And I don't know if you recognize the lyrics as we sang, recognize where that comes from in the Bible. Um, but it also said it at, says it at the bottom of the hymn, but it's from Psalm 51. It's an adaptation of David's psalm of repentance and his plea for mercy to God. And we actually have a number of songs uh, that are in our hymnal that are based on Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are often referred to as the songbook of Israel, but they're also the songbook of the New Testament church as well. Uh, so if you remember the significance of the Psalms to the apostles. If, as you read through Acts, how many times Peter, for example, is, is quoting the Psalms as being fulfilled in Christ, being about Christ, sometimes even on the lips of Christ. The book of Hebrews does this again as well. In the book of Psalms, the apostles saw the resurrection of Christ. They saw his, uh, his, his, uh, his priestly session after sitting at the right hand of the Father. Um, they, they saw the Psalms as about Christ. And so we continue to, to do the same. And so we sing these Psalms. They're not just a relic of Old Testament worship from something in the past. And so even one example uh, in our own hymn book, Psalm uh, sorry, hymn number 171, is the king of love my shepherd is. Well, that is Psalm 23 with an obvious Christological lens to it, that Jesus is the good shepherd, the king of love. So our corporate singing must be saturated in Scripture, and this would include singing the inspired psalms. Uh, a second principle is this. Our corporate singing is a way of teaching and admonishing each other. Corporate singing is a way of teaching and admonishing each other. This is where I think the individualistic approach to singing simply falls short of what the Bible teaches. 
He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with, I think I should say with, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So Paul says, our singing is not merely addressed to God from you and I as individuals, nor is it merely between us corporately, just singing directly up to God. We are addressing and instructing one another through song as we sing. If that sounds strange to you, if maybe you're skeptical about my understanding of this text, um, I invite you to turn to Ephesians 5, even if you don't think it's strange. You can turn to Ephesians 5, uh, 19. That was my way of telling who thinks this is strange. (laughs) Ephesians 5 and 19, I, I think, makes this point perhaps even more clearly. But starting in verse 18, Paul writes there, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, and and so on. So in this verse, we're explicitly told to address or speak to one another in or with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then the word singing comes after psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, just like it should be in Colossians. So it's almost the same wording, and I think the ESV translates it better uh, in Ephesians than it does in Colossians. It explicitly says there, we are speaking to one another, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I don't know. I, I, for some of you, I'm guessing this, is, this is, is a completely new concept. You've always been told that you sing with the audience of one. Maybe you've sung a song by that very title. But this is not what Paul teaches here. He says we are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom as we sing these songs. This is what we're to be doing. The word teaching is likely uh, the positive instruction, if you will, where admonishing would be warning. That's really what that means, warning. Our view of corporate singing must allow for such things. Teaching one another, admonishing one another. So again, this is probably the... um, I don't know if I'd say that the, 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 well, the thing in here that is maybe most surprising to us, maybe, um, perhaps this isn't at all new to you, um, but I do want to just spend uh, a little extra time just sort of fleshing this out a little bit, this, this principle, and, and going through some different implications and, and applications from this, which will explain, you know, I think, why we do some of the things that we do um, here and, uh, and encourage us in this all the more. Um, so I just want to focus on a number of, of applications and, and really implications from this reality 
uh, that our corporate singing is a way of teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, the first is uh, to teach, to admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs obviously means teaching the scriptures and the doctrines contained within them is necessary. Again, this is really what I've already stated, um, but I just want to add something here about teaching scripture and theology. Um, it is good to have songs that are word for word uh, the text of scripture. Uh, this is a good thing. Like if you're singing the Psalms, uh, sometimes they're altered slightly to try and make it fit and work in a, in a, in a meter in, in song. Um, but for the most part, they're going to be more or less you know, word for word. Um, but it is also good to have the teachings of scriptures expounded and explained in song. And I believe this is what is included in teaching and admonishing through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's singing the scriptures, and it's also singing explanation of the scriptures, which means it's going to include theology, which is really trying to pull together the different texts of scripture and, and, and present them in a way that makes sense and that is consistent with the whole of the Bible. This is how we... This is what we have to do if we are to understand the meaning of the scriptures. So I just want to illustrate this maybe in a couple ways. One, I, so the first is I was in um, Haiti once, and they had uh, a, um, the, the, I was with a group of Baptists, and they had an association of 300 churches, I believe, across Haiti. And these pastors, um, they, they, they had a, a lot of their New Testament memorized. Um, so like the book of Matthew, for example, memorized. So they could tell you what's in Matthew 18. You know, you pick a chapter and they know what's in those, those, that chapter, what, what Jesus says and what happens first part of the chapter and then the next. And it's very impressive. And, and I think most of us would be very impressed by that, and we should be. And yet, interestingly, um, what, what did they desire? They were desiring educators, other people, Christians, teachers, to come and help them understand what it means. They, they wanted further theological training to be able to put it all together in a consistent manner. Not only to know what is said in, say, Matthew 18, but also to understand the significance of what is said in, those, in that chapter, and so on. So that's some, some what I'm getting at with some of the distinction between um, the scripture itself, and then understanding what that then means and, and, and having a sound theology that is consistent with the whole of scripture. So when it comes to singing, uh, imagine singing for a, for a moment, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that line. Uh, this is good, right? This is a biblical truth. It's important to know. It's worthy of singing. We want our children to know this. We want to know this. This is good. This is a fact. This is true. Yet we ought also to obviously want to know and understand and sing the significance of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Again, many unbelievers will affirm Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the same Jesus that you know we would worship and, and, and celebrate, whose birth we would celebrate around Christmas and so on. Many unbelievers will not deny that. So how helpful and instructive and even powerful, significant, to clarify Jesus was born in Bethlehem with something like this statement, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. 
hail the incarnate deity. This brings out some of the significance of what is happening with this baby that's in a manger. Right? Don't be fooled by this baby. The song says, veiled in this flesh is the Godhead, is Jesus, who is the eternal Son of God. He's God in human flesh. And it summons us to see this, right? to believe this, to see past just a baby there, to see the Godhead in human flesh with eyes of faith. And then it celebrates this birth. Hail the incarnate deity. So that is teaching and admonishing using scripture and sound theology. Okay, the second implication from this, from the fact that our corporate singing is about teaching and admonishing one another, is that songs should have a range of complexity and depth in their content. A range of complexity and depth in their content. Within a congregation, there are people... Various levels of maturity and understanding. We have the physically young uh, and the physically old. We have the spiritually young and the spiritually old. Now, I do believe our songs should be elevating our understanding. Um, you know, it is, after all, teaching. So that we're going to run into some new things, maybe, as we teach, as we teach through song. There might be lines from a song that you might not get right away. You might have to think about. You might have to. Again, it's one of the reasons we want to try, uh, we are not always consistent in it, but try to get you some of the songs in advance, especially if they're new songs, so that you can think through it in advance and learn the melody, of course, too. You might have to think about it afterwards. Well, what does this mean? What is this saying? Uh, how do, where, you know, how, what scripture truths is this, is this built upon? There are some philosophies of church music that say we should cater to the, the, the new believer or the, even the unbeliever in some cases, um, that we should teach very simple, very basic songs so that nobody gets left behind and feels bad. Of course, we don't want to leave anybody behind. Uh, we do try to explain songs. For example, often you'll hear uh, when we sing a new song, it, parts of it being explained. Um, but, but we're not trying to leave anybody behind. But at the same time, uh, we're to teach and admonish one another. And this is going to mean elevating our understanding of Scripture and inputting that into our songs. So I don't think, again, we want to leave anyone behind, but we also should not cater simply to those who are new in the faith or are visitors to the church. We want to learn together in time the language of the faith and sing that together and admonish and teach each other in that way. Uh, third, this principle, our corporate singing, uh, teaching and admonishing one another, it teaches us that we should hear congregational voices when we sing. Voices should not be drowned out by the band. This is not people on the stage singing to the people in the audience. It is all of us singing to one another. As we teach and admonish each other, it's something that all members of the body participate in. There is something very important and powerful about this. When, 
As we sing, we hear the chorus of our brothers and sisters to our left and right, before us, behind us, admonishing us and encouraging and exhorting us and singing the truths of God. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. As we sing this together to one another, to teach, to remind us of these, this biblical truth. We should hear congregational voices when we sing. I think it's also another reason to sing loudly. <laughs> if you know the song, to sing it out, belt it out, let other people hear you. A fourth implication, pronouns matter in our singing. Pronouns, personal pronouns are words like I and me, we, our, you. These matter in our singing. I don't think we should sing songs that are purely just I, me songs in light of the fact that we are singing to one another, addressing one another. We should also use songs that have pronouns like we and our. Plural pronouns. Now, if we understand our corporate singing rightly, I think it's legitimate to use singular pronoun, I or me. For example, in Christ alone, my hope is found. I think we can still do that in a way that is together and admonishing and encouraging one another and singing truth and instructing one another. Some psalms, like Psalm 51 referenced earlier, are first-person singular. Have mercy on me, David writes. But the first-person plural brings out that corporate nature of our singing as well. A mighty fortress is our God, together. Additionally, the second person is also appropriate as we address one another. Another well-known hymn asks the question, will you this moment his grace receive? Sometimes our songs directly address God himself. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Others speak of him in the third person, again, as we sing to one another. Behold our God, seated on the throne, come, let us adore him. So again, I think these pronouns, they matter in our singing. It's good to have a mixture of these. Something maybe you've never even considered that before. Um, but I think it, it matters. If all we have are I, me songs... We can, we can, it might be a sign we're missing, you know, the, the corporate element here. A fifth implication of this reality that our corporate singing is addressed to one another as well. A fifth implication of this, live streaming at home is inadequate to fulfill Colossians 3.16. Uh, this is particularly relevant in this day, I think, as 
governments are telling us what is appropriate modes of worship for us. Um, if, if, if we are all at home watching a screen, uh, we're not really properly, I don't think, fulfilling this mandate, fulfilling this call. Which is why even when we were under lockdown at the start of all of this, um, there was a real reluctance to just treat it like, even though we were meeting online, we were grateful for that, to just, to just call it church even. <laughs> there were some serious elements lacking in it. Now, it's true that we can be in our living room and, and, and if we're watching online, uh, to some extent, we could fulfill this one another if we were with family with another person we're singing. There is a, a bit of a corporate element to that. But the corporate gathering is what Paul is addressing here. The church as a whole. Of course, live streams are a great blessing. When we're providentially hindered from being able to gather sick or something like that, I know there's people watching now, joining from home, who are in that exact position, and it's great. Need not, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty for that by any stretch. It's a great blessing in that case. Um, but I think it's just important that we understand that that does ultimately fall short of this, of what Paul's calling us to here in Colossians 3.16. Even now, at least now, we are gathered in groups together, though still you know, less than ideal, but we do still sing, we are still singing corporately with our brothers and sisters. A sixth implication. Songs should be employed in the home. Now that might seem out of place given what I just said, uh, but let me just explain. When it comes to church singing, it requires gathering to obey what Paul has said, as I just discussed. Um, but I don't believe that it is therefore wrong to sing uh, outside of the church. I'm not suggesting that. And while Paul's not dealing with families specifically here quite yet, he's going to get into families in a little while, uh, into, well, into verse 18 and following. Um, nevertheless, we know that fathers are tasked with raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6.4. And here we have singing as a means of teaching and admonishing, of having the word dwell within us. And so I would commend family singing to you. Um, it seems awkward at first, perhaps. Um, I think that, that passes fairly quickly. Um, but, uh, but this is a, a way that, that we are told here, the word of Christ is, dwells within us. It's a way of teaching our children, our family members, as we sing scriptural, sound songs uh, to one another in the home. A seventh implication here. Um, te teaching, this idea of, of corporate singing is teaching and admonishing each other. I think it helps to move us away uh, from where singing is all about my response and my commitments to God. Some of us have a background in which many of the songs that we sang um, were really primarily about me and my 
a lot of them, not all of them, but, but many songs that are, are about my response to God, my commitments to God. It's about how much I love, about how, what, what I have given up, what, um, you know, this becomes this, can become the focus. And, and frankly, it can be very, very, very burdensome and, and can, can, can lead us to a measure of hypocrisy. Because we're, we're being forced to declare things that I do that, you know, we're unsettled by because we know maybe we don't do those things. Um, I'm sure you can think of some songs that do that. Um, you know, just, I mean, one example, and I sure hope this is no one's favorite, but, um, but I surrender all. That's just one that comes to mind, right? It's just this repeated refrain. And you're sitting there with your indwelling sin and... If, you know, I trust you've maybe felt that tension. I'm not the only one um, that, uh, you know, is this, is this true? Am I, have I, you know, and, and, and so when we change this to teaching and admonishing one another and we sing with this in mind, then a lot of the songs will become objective truths that are true whether you feel good about it right now or not whether you're having a great deal of success in obeying this or not. And it's very, very freeing. And of course, if we're singing the gospel itself, that also is very freeing. Because you come with all your garbage and junk and sin, and you just sing this song that it's not in me, right? My salvation is not in me, but only you. That Christ is all your righteousness. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Right? If you're struggling along, you can sing that song. <laughs> now there are, even you know, in our hymnal, there are songs that have within them um, things that could be said to be our response um, that, that we might sometimes have a hard time saying. But again, I think if, if we put it in the context of um, of singing as a way of teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, you're not just singing this to yourself. You're singing this to other people. And, uh, and, and I think you can think of these things as, as prayers, as truths uh, that are true, that I, I desire to be you know, more aligned with this uh, in my heart and soul and so on. And even a lot of the songs that do have declarations, um, so I, um, there's a song, Jesus, I, my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee. Well, all to leave, I've left everything to follow thee. Well, in a sense, I guess that's, that's true, though we might, again, find that sin that we wrestle with. Um, but then the same verse goes on to say, perish every fond ambition. So it's, it's also, right within the song, it's, 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 um, it's, it's sort of like, here's what I want it to be. And there's a prayer within it that our fond ambitions and earthly longings would perish and fall away. And so, um, again, I, I just, um, just bringing it back here, this teaching and admonishing one another in the truths of the faith helps, I think, to, to take it out of just me and it's got to be about my, you know, I've got to get to some place before I get to church on Sunday so that I can mean it when I say you know, whatever the song's going to be. If it's just a song about me and the Lord. So our corporate singing is a way of teaching and admonishing one another. The third principle, and this one will be 
brief. Our corporate singing is offered to God with gratitude. Our corporate singing is offered to God with gratitude. This verse concludes that we teach and admonish singing with thankfulness in your, heart, in your hearts to God. So Paul says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So even as we teach and admonish one another, the whole thing is a thank offering of sorts to God. We are ultimately worshiping him as we sing the truth of his word and instruct one another along the way. It might seem like there's something even, maybe even sacrilegious about suggesting we address one another as we sing. But Paul sees this whole thing as ultimately directed upward as he says to sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, we're not singing each other's praises. We're not praising one another. We're singing God's praises even as we address one another in this. We saw last week that gratitude is a fundamental virtue of the Christian life. It's mentioned again here in verse 16. It'll be mentioned again next week in verse 17. Here, it is actually the word for grace. Uh, the King James, if you're familiar with that, says singing with grace in your hearts to God. Now, this word is often used as man's response to God, and when it is, uh, it is translated typically as thanks. It's thankfulness to God for his great mercies and grace and kindness shown to us. Also notice here, he says it is thankfulness in your hearts, which once more reminds us that worship is a matter of the internal heart posture before God. Paul's not saying just show up, repeat songs coldly to one another, and then just consider your duty fulfilled. As always, the heart does matter. We strive for a posture of thankfulness in our hearts to God as we sing. This is what we're called to. Again, this is to be the Christian's default, if you will. Thankfulness to Almighty God for all he has done. And this is to be the character of our singing. This posture of gratitude as we sing God's praises to one another even. Now, none of us comes to God with a perfectly thankful heart. And so this is, again, something to confess to God, even as you strive to be more grateful to him. Again, you know, we, we, we're, not coming, we're, not to, we're not coming here to just give him lip service. Again, Paul is, is going after our heart here. And as you realize your heart lacks gratitude as you are worshiping and singing, Again, I just encourage you to confess that to God and to rest in Christ, to rejoice, as we sang earlier, my only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only you, only Christ. So as we conclude here, again, none of us worships with perfection. Our, our church does not perfectly do all of these things. The day will come in the new Jerusalem where we will perfectly worship our God. Yet for the time being, repentance is going to be an ongoing necessity. And, and maybe, maybe you've had or taken um, a, an individualistic approach to worshiping God in song. Maybe that is something you need to confess to God. And if so, I would just encourage you to do that. Again, to, to rest in Christ, to trust in Christ's righteousness, uh, but to be renewed in your thinking um, on this matter according to God's word.
And so Paul informs us here that our church singing is a corporate act of instilling Scripture in one another by teaching and admonishing each other with biblically saturated songs, doing so with gratitude in our hearts to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for sending your son to reveal the mystery that had been hidden from ages past. We thank you for sending your son, the incarnate deity, to purchase salvation. Father, I pray that you would bring great joy to our hearts as we sing, even as we close here in song, and as we gather next Sunday to sing. Father, I pray that we would joyfully and gladly teach and admonish one another as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Father, that through this, your word would indeed, and the truths of your word would dwell in us, in our children, and that we would be strengthened and renewed and, and, and do this with great joy week after week. We thank you for this grace that you have given us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.